Fraud Pod. Thank you so much for joining us on this 46th edition of the Teaching Abroad Pod. I'm your host, Rowan Lomas, and joining me this week as co-host is my colleague, Ashley, from our operations department. Hello. When she's not wrangling instructors and scheduling courses, she's also a remote teacher for one of the biggest online platforms on the planet. How are things going with you, Ashley? Very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you? Great. So we have an interview coming up shortly with one of our graduates who has been teaching in Taiwan since way back in 2019. But before we get to that, I wanted to pick your brain about teaching online. Personally, a few years back, I taught uh, children and uh, adults as well online. And honestly, I was much better at engaging adult students in the material, probably because the subject matter was just more interesting to me personally. I wasn't great at being this really like high energy, <laughs> clowning around kind of guy for the children. So I'm just wondering, how do you get pumped up to keep the children engaged and participating in the lessons? Well, I'd be lying if I said that I was always ready to teach at 5 a.m. Sometimes I really want to hit that snooze button. But teaching kids, or at least working with kids, has always been something that I've enjoyed. Um, I did think about being a kindergarten teacher as a job possibility when I was younger. And when I see their excited, smiling faces, it's, it's much easier to get into that space and light myself up to meet their energy, connecting with them is definitely my motivation. It's something that kind of has to be done quickly because they are shorter classes. But that being said, um, because I teach across all levels, I do have the opportunity to have some breaks from being high energy um, and have more conversation-based lessons. So that certainly helps for sure. I guess it really does help to be someone who's excited by their energy and able to tap into it and hopefully some of our listeners that are thinking about teaching online can relate to that and find online students that are a good fit for them but uh, in any case i admire your stick-to-itiveness that ability to get up every day it's 5 a.m and just get in there and be a, a fun teacher for the students I think all teachers need that at some point or another on those days when maybe you're just not feeling up for it or at your best, but those students are still there waiting for you, <laughs> deserving uh, the teacher's best effort. So great advice. And in just a moment, we're going to be speaking with Oxford Seminars TESOL certification course graduate Christian Epp about his teaching time in Taiwan. But first, a word from our sponsor. With Oxford Seminars, starting your new career teaching ESL couldn't be easier. Oxford Seminars has trained more than 70,000 teachers over the past 30 years, and you could be next. Our comprehensive 120-hour program starts with live instruction from an experienced ESL teacher, followed by convenient online modules. If your goal is to relocate overseas or even teach from the comfort of your own home, Oxford Seminars' renowned lifetime job placement service will get you where you want to be. Right now, you can get $50 off your Oxford Seminars TESOL, TESOL, TEFL course price when paying in full by calling 1-888-225-2480 and giving the code TEACHINGABROADPOD. Visit OxfordSeminars.com today to find out more. Welcome back, listeners. We are now joined by Oxford Seminars graduate Christian Epp, who has been teaching in Taiwan since way back in the before times 
since early 2019, in fact. In addition to his TESOL certification, he has earned a bachelor's degree in linguistics and German from the University of British Columbia with a semester abroad in Germany and is currently working on a Master of Education from UBC. Before starting his international teaching career, Christian worked in landscaping and painting and as a German tutor. Welcome to the pod, Christian. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, so I'm just wondering, why did you choose to go teach in Taiwan in the first place? Uh, well, there were a few reasons, a couple general reasons and a couple personal reasons. In general, I was thinking between South Korea, Japan, or Taiwan. Um, for me, I've heard kind of Japan has a bit of a, a tougher work environment, like a more strict work environment. So I'm not sure I would really enjoy it there too, too much, at least working. I've been before and it's a lovely place, but I didn't really want to work there. Um, South Korea, my parents didn't want me to go because of the tensions between North Korea and South Korea. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, so I kind of settled on Taiwan that way. I had never been here, but everybody I talked to who had been here said people were very nice. It was a very uh, relaxed place. Taipei was a very cool city. Um, and then personally, I have, when I did my year abroad in Germany, I made one good Taiwanese friend and she was telling me a lot more about Taiwan and she lives in Taipei. So I kind of had a, a bit of a safety net, someone here that if I had an emergency, I would have some help. So that was one personal reason. And then another thing was for Asia and for the world, Taiwan is a very nice place to be for gay people. Um, in 2019, the year that I came here, they legalized same-sex marriage and people are just pretty darn chill with, with LGBT people. So that was a more personal reason for why I came here. All very good reasons. And the last one, yeah, I didn't know that until last year, one of my colleagues brought it up um, with assisting someone else who's looking for that kind of uh, comfortable environment. And it's really great to hear that that, that is the way yeah. that things are in Taiwan. Love that. So yeah. you've been here or there, sorry, for a while now. What are some highlights and lowlights in your experience? Lowlights, probably just the first couple of weeks. It's a lot, uh, moving to a different country, especially if you've never been there. It wasn't my first time in Asia, but it was my first time in Taiwan. Taipei is a super big city, and I'm from a small town on Vancouver Island. So going to a city of, you know, 7 million, uh, it's quite spread out, but there are times where there's quite a lot of people around. That was a bit hectic at the beginning, but it was okay. Um, it's quite hot here. That was a big thing. Yeah, I also didn't have accommodation when I first got here. My The company I worked for set up a, a week of a hotel. But then after that, I was looking to find a, a place, a suitable place that I liked. And I didn't know what type of place I should be looking for. I didn't know what was a good place to live, what was a bad place to live, the, the proper price range and stuff. You can look all that up online beforehand. But then when you get here, sometimes people tell you different things especially local Taiwanese people might say, oh, this is too expensive. Whereas um, the fellow English teacher will say, no, like you're making enough money. You can you can afford this place or that place. So the first month I say was just the, the hardest for me, but it's still actually, it wasn't too, too bad. Of course, then there was COVID. Um, actually, Taiwan was a really nice place to be. Not a nice, I don't want to 
make it sound good, but it was a nice place to be for COVID because they were very strict at the beginning and we didn't have any cases of COVID for the first year and a half after about a three month period. So life was kind of normal here during COVID and it was really weird to talk to everybody back home and everybody around the world who was going through lockdowns and we didn't actually do a lockdown until partway through 2021. And it was only like a light lockdown. Highlights have been a lot of things, to be honest. I've made many wonderful friends. Taiwan is a super beautiful island. And I've during the COVID times when I couldn't leave, I saw a lot of Taiwan. It's very beautiful. Yeah, just starting working, I realized it was my first teaching job here four years ago after doing my TEFL certificate. And I really enjoy teaching. So it was nice to, to realize that it was the right path for me. But it's been pretty nice the whole time, to be honest. Nice. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, through the whole COVID situation, people, I think, had to find ways to discover their own country. I mean, in Canada, camping popularity mm -hmm. went through the roof. You had to book like six months in advance to get a site on popular uh, campgrounds. Uh, did, you, did you explore any yeah. sort of off-the-beaten-track parts of Taiwan? Any islands or anything you'd recommend? The islands are the places I still need to go to, um, but I can still recommend them because I have lots of friends who've been there. But uh, Penghu, I wanted to go there, didn't quite make it. They, that's when we had our little lockdown. I had my flight booked, but then oh, no. we had our little lockdown for a couple months. Yeah, perfect timing. Uh, Penghu is just between like China and Taiwan, but it has apparently super beautiful beaches, tropical beaches. You kind of need to know how to ride a scooter or drive or ride a bike if you go there, but I've heard it's super beautiful. Down in the south, there's a small island called Shaoliochou. I don't know if there is an English name, but it, there's lots of sea turtles there, and you can go scuba diving with sea turtles. It's just off the coast of a big city called Kaohsiung in the south. So if you go to Kaohsiung, you can go to Xiaoliuqiu uh, for a day, and then Green Island and Orchid Island on the East Coast are also very beautiful. Green Island's a bit smaller, and you can do it in a day. Orchid Island, people have told me to, to go for maybe two or three days. There's a very interesting local uh, tribe, I guess, there, like the first Taiwanese people before any wave of chi Chinese heritage people came over here. Yeah, so Orchid Island, Green Island, Xiaoliuqiu, and Penghu are all very cool places, yeah. One of my favorite things to do in Korea when I was teaching there was exploring the beautiful uh, mountains, the national parks for hiking. Are you into hiking or that kinds of things to do in Taiwan? Yes, there's so I, I love hiking as well, and there's so much hiking to do, even just outside of Taipei City. It's, I guess it's kind of like Vancouver, you know, it's surrounded by mountains, the ocean's not too far away, but Taipei City, there's lots of trains outside of the city. So you can just take a quick train ride to one, like a small town and then start hiking a beautiful mountain. And usually you get a view of the ocean. Uh, it's kind of jungly. There's lots of cool <laughs> insects and, and, and animals in there, sometimes monkeys. And then recently in January, I just hiked the tallest mountain in Taiwan, which is almost... 4,000 meters. Um, it's in a beautiful national park. It's not too, it sounds kind of crazy, 4,000 meters, but you don't start from 
ocean level, sea level. Um, and it's not that difficult, to be honest, especially the main peak is actually the easiest peak. So if you want to go to the highest point in Taiwan, it's not too, too difficult. And it's quite cool. Um, but it'd be yeah, there's so much hiking. To, uh, like going to Grouse Mountain. Yeah, about Grouse Mountain. I mean, Grouse Mountain's not even 2,000 meters high, is it? I don't even know. Yeah. But if it was a comparable hike, I guess. Yeah, I guess it, it toughness-wise, like I said, I do hike quite a bit. If you're a beginner, maybe total beginner, maybe take a do a, a smaller mountain. But if you're just a regular hiker, I think it's totally fine. And if you're an advanced hiker, then it's for sure easy for you. I always tell people, I think Vancouver is the most beautiful city on the planet. It's just gorgeous with its mountains in the background and the, the coast in front of you. How does Taipei compare in beauty, would you say? Beauty, I mean, I I think Vancouver's a little, that nature-wise, it's more beautiful. Taipei, as a city, like, there aren't too many super tall buildings. So what I like about it is from a lot of areas in Taipei, you can still see the surrounding mountains. And it's not, like, claustrophobic. I think I said there are about 7 million people in greater Taipei. There's Taipei City, and then surrounding Taipei City is New Taipei. But it's basically one big city. But there's a, there's two, three rivers that kind of surround Taipei, and they all have riverside parks that you can go biking on. They're really nice. And there's little mountains in the city that you can go hiking. Elephant Mountain, if you Google Taipei, what to do in Taipei, the first thing that comes up is Elephant Mountain. It's not a super tall mountain. It's more like a small, maybe like a really big hill, in my opinion, because it only takes about 20 minutes to walk up there. But it has a really wonderful view of the city. And there's a giant park in the middle of Taipei called Da'an Park. And they have lots of parks everywhere. And it's not far. If you don't like city life all the time, like I said, it's not super hard to get out of the city and, and go into the mountains. An hour, maybe less on a train. How did you adapt at first? And how did you meet new people in the community? Um, at the beginning, I would say my first friends were my English teaching colleagues. There were two teachers at my school. Those are probably going to be your first friends. Hopefully they're nice people. I'm sure they usually are. Teachers are quite nice in general, I think. And um, yeah, so they were my first friends and I started hanging out with them a bit. But I also used meetup.com. It sounds like a dating app, but it's not. It's, um, it's like a clubs app. So I, like I said, I like hiking. So I found some hiking groups on there met some people through that, started hiking with them. Now a couple of them are my best friends here. Again, for me personally, I found an LGBT group that I went and joined and made a couple of friends. Yeah, at the beginning, I think just getting out there, trying to find some type of group like that or you know, going out with your coworkers, meeting their friends, that's a good way to start making friends. Or roommates. I also found when I moved here, I didn't want roommates. I wanted to have my own place, which I do now. But at the beginning, I had two roommates, and it was kind of nice just to have people to talk to when I got back to uh, home from work and stuff like that. Even if, you know, those two guys, they weren't, we weren't super good friends, but it was very chill at home, and we could talk to each other, and uh, we would hang out sometimes. So if you can find good roommates, that's also a nice way to make some friends, I think. Yeah. Um, what are some food and drinks that you'd recommend people try for ever visiting Taiwan? Um, I mean, drinks, I'm sure everybody's heard of bubble tea by now. Uh, it is originally from Taiwan, especially if you ask Taiwanese people. 
is not very healthy for you. So I wouldn't <laughs> drink it too much. And you can ask for like half sugar or 30% sugar. And that's probably a bit better. If you get full sugar, it's just <laughs> too much, at least for me. So yeah, bubble tea for sure, week. as far as drinks goes. Sorry? I was just saying, I, I give this advice to my child every week. Loves bubble yes. tea. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, but it's basically like a dessert in a, in a cup. So you got to be careful. Um, other drinks, oolong. Oolong tea is technically, I think, originally from Taiwan. And they have lots of yummy oolong tea here. Um, just outside of Taipei, you can go to Mao Kong, it's called. And they have uh, they grow tea on that little mountain, and you can you can drink some tea with a nice view. And then food, beef noodle soup, super popular and super delicious. You can get it everywhere. Stinky tofu, which you may have heard of. A lot of foreigners don't like it. It does smell really bad. There's two kinds. There's a there's the soupy kind, which smells worse and tastes a bit stronger. And then there's the fried kind, which to me, just kind of tastes like normal tofu. So if you're not as adventurous, you could try the fried stinky tofu. And if you don't like it, that's fine as well. Um, Xiaolongbao, which is uh, like soup dumplings. So it's like steamed dumplings and inside is a bit of meat, but there's also a little bit of soup. And when you bite into it, it kind of pops in your mouth and it's super delicious. And I would also say, oh, these are called danbing which means like egg cake. I don't actually remember what they kind of call them in English. I would describe them as like a type of crepe with some egg and then they fill it with ham or bacon, whatever you want, uh, corn and add some cheese. And then there's a nice thick soy sauce that goes with it and it's delicious. I've never met a foreigner who doesn't like dambing and it's actually hard to get outside of Taiwan, at least in Canada, I think. Sounds delicious. Yeah, it is very good. Is there any particular restaurant you say people just have to try? I mean, Taipei has so many wonderful restaurants. I can't really think of any specific restaurant to try. There is one that you'll probably hear if you Google it as uh, Din Tai Fung, which has lots of dumplings, those uh, soup dumplings I was talking about and traditional Chinese food. It is very mainstream. Um, they even have some, I believe there's one in Toronto, maybe even one in Vancouver and a few in the United States. So they are around the world, but I actually, I don't have any specific restaurants to suggest, um, just the type of foods. Food in Taiwan is super cheap, especially if you're coming from a place like Canada where it's quite expensive. Uh, you can get a, you know, a meal here. An expensive meal is like a really expensive meal is like $50 per person. That's super duper expensive. That's like your mid-range. If you want to go to Canada now. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Most meals, you can get a good meal for like eight Canadian dollars here, um, eight to 10. Most meals that I have, yeah, are probably around 10 Canadian dollars. So food is, it's as cheap here to go out and eat as it is to buy groceries and cook at home, which to me does not make sense, but it is the way it is. That was um, one of my favorite things yeah. about Korea too. Like, yes. I go spend time and money shopping when you can go to this little mom and pop shop around the corner and get better food for less. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted, I, I remembered one thing too, which Vancouver has a lot of, and I'm sure Toronto and places do too. Hot pot though. I didn't really have hot pot until I came to Taipei, but um, it's everywhere and it's so delicious. So, and yeah. it's cheap. How do you find the students there? 
Do you have any tips for teachers new to Taiwan in terms of how to keep the class engaged? To be honest, in general, kids are kids. You might hear some people say Taiwanese kids are like shy or reserved or things like that. That's not really. You have some shy kids. You have some very outgoing kids. You have some kids that misbehave. So if you're teaching children, yeah, kids are kids. I would say though that here kids just do a lot of school. I don't want to say it's not fun, but <laughs> they already they seem kind of burned out by the time they get、yeah. to high school, even middle school. So if you are teaching, they if you just Teach through games. They usually really appreciate that, and they really enjoy it. That would be the one thing,、uh, because most other classes they have are just going to be like, do your work, get it done, go to the after-school school, which I used to work at a at a. It's called Bushiban here, cram school. Some of them are not, you know, they are cram schools. They're not great, but、uh, the one I worked at was very nice. But still, some of the students are going to school until like nine p.m. and they're very tired. So. If you can make it a bit more fun and play some games with them, they do really appreciate it. That would be the one thing. Yeah. Do you find that effective in teaching language? You're you're able to work in the the curricular objectives,、uh, the language learning as part of the games. Yeah, in general, yeah, you can. If you if you start with a short lesson of grammar or whatever it is you want to cover first, and then find an appropriate game that includes all the students, I think is very doable. Especially at things like cram schools.、Um, at the moment, I work at a, an, a private elementary school. That is a bit more, you know, they have a bit more of a strict curriculum. But even then, you can still work in some games or just make things a bit more fun by, oh, just being like a, a fun teacher, like a nice teacher, outgoing teacher.、Um, a lot of teachers do seem to be very strict. Again, just kind of do your work. Here's what you're supposed to do. You know, and it, it wears the kids out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think we've all probably、uh, anyone who's taught abroad, especially in certain、uh, parts of Asia, can corroborate、yeah. what you are saying. Yeah. So yeah. one question we always like to ask our guests who have taught abroad is, what advice would you have for people who are maybe on the fence about getting TESOL certified, wondering is this really worth my time and money? So I would say obviously it depends on you, but if you're on the fence, I would probably say just go for it and you know see how you like it. If you don't like it, you can always、uh, leave as long as you're you know you do it appropriately. You come here,、uh, try for a year, even if you just do one semester. As long as you give companies like a good amount of、uh, time before you tell them you're leaving, you won't have any problem at all. But No, I, I was on the fence too. I didn't know if I really wanted to be a teacher, but I, you know, I I have tutored before. I've always loved school, um, and I thought about becoming a teacher for quite a while. So I was like, let's just give it a try. And coming to Asia is usually the easiest step if you don't have、uh, much experience first. So yeah, I just gave it a shot, and I love it. And I'm doing my masters, yeah, and I found my my career path. If you just want to do to travel as well, you know, being a teacher, it is it is responsibility. So I would say, do think twice about it. You don't want to just come and fool around and 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 all that stuff. You know, you are dealing with people's children here and trying to teach their their children. But if you do want to travel and you can take the job seriously as well, it is a very good、uh, job to travel. That's a good point. It's a great way to see the world, see different、uh, sites and. 
sounds and languages around the world, but it mm-hmm. is not just a vacation with a paycheck. I mean, they do expect yeah. you to work for your money and, and do a good job. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Christian. It was great having you and hearing all about this great experience you're having four and a half years now in Taiwan. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, it's been it's been wonderful so far. Um, obviously, there are ups and downs always, but it, it's generally very nice. Awesome. Have a great night. Thanks. You too. Um, before we go, we have a little job placement update. Um, those job seekers may be listening. Well, after hearing so much about Christian's experience that might have some of you listeners thinking about applying to Tropical Taiwan, we in job placement do work with a number of schools and recruiters that are hiring for positions located from Taipei to Kaohsiung and everywhere in between. And the most common type of job available is in private language schools for young learners and teens, as Christian mentioned, known as bushy bands. And salaries can range anywhere from about 40,000 to 70,000 new Taiwan dollars per month for teaching about 20 to 30 hours per week. And schools will typically help their teachers find a suitable and affordable apartment in the area. Additionally, if you have the state teaching credentials to teach in the public schools of your home state, some of our contacts can even connect you to public school jobs in Taiwan, as well as private elementary and similar types of position for well-qualified applicants. And employers for those positions will often provide free housing and at least partial airfare reimbursement. So do reach out to your job placement advisor for more details. Thanks, Ron. And thank you, listeners, as always, for listening to the Teaching Abroad podcast. We're aiming to release new episodes monthly. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe and share with your friends. Remember, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, and your podcasting app of choice. If you have any great ideas that you'd like to share or see on an upcoming episode, please message us on Instagram or send us an email at teachingabroadpod at oxfordsmanagement.com. See you next time.